fueled by the outdoors, your source for hunting, fishing, archery, and all things outdoors. Brought to you by the Elite Outdoors. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. We're your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert. Hey, what's up, guys? And this is episode 26, because Rick actually went back and counted the amount of episodes, and the last one was actually 25, so we're on Bad episode ass. 26. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so we're, we're past the quarter century mark, and we are uh, heading from the end of October, and by the time that this airs, it'll be November the 2nd or 1st. Uh, so November 2nd. November 2nd by the time yep. this airs, so it'll be, man... If you aren't seeing deer yet, you'll sure as hell be seeing them then, hopefully. <laughs> um, and I, unless you've pounded the shit out of your spots already. Well, yeah, there's that too. Which then the other guys into, are going to love you <laughs> surrounding your area. Which, um, which goes into like what we're wanting to talk about today because uh, yeah. as you and I were just talking, a lot of people have been contacting us um, about different things with regards to deer hunting some of them are first-time deer hunters some of them are long-time deer hunters we had like a glut of people um come onto the page a few days ago mainly because of the infamous zombie deer video if you haven't seen it already um you can thank uh luke lacy for um probably posting that for what what did it have like seven and a half thousand shares or some shit like over that over eight thousand yeah over eight thousand shares it made meat eater like it was nuts um he didn't yeah. take the video but long story short uh we had a bunch of people come on so we have like i want to say close to probably 1500 to like almost 2000 new people on the page something crazy i think it was like uh i think we're at like 1100 or something like that it was crazy and yeah. so, also keep in mind I think just today alone, I've blocked like 70 people or something like that. <laughs> something crazy. So well, yeah. we block a lot of people that just try to advertise or they're, uh, you know, uh, a bot account or whatever. So, but uh, yeah, from, guys, uh, new today, Texas. yeah, yeah, new people from New Texas. Um, <laughs> but uh, today we, we actually want to, we want to talk about um, woodsmanship, guys. Yes. Um, all right. So. We're going to go ahead and uh, talk about some woodsmanship today, guys. Uh, as Rick was saying, our page has grown a decent amount. We added over a thousand people, I want to say. Yeah. Um, and I'm getting flooded with messages, and I'm, some other guys are, but it's just like insane to try to keep up with. And I also, you know, without sounding like a douche, I'm kind of saying the same thing over and over. So I figure. This is probably a pretty good way. So now, when I get oh, we this can point message, people to the same to this. What's that? I said we can point people to this and say, "Hey, if you have yeah, any questions, yeah. like I'm going to say, here is a link to this podcast. Yep. Listen to this. Yep. So that way, I don't have to spend my day typing to 37 people. So Thumbs here's the deal. Um, woodsmanship has. I don't want to say it's died, but I think people are relying on the wrong things. So we're, we're going to make this a shorter and sweeter podcast, 30, 40 minutes, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so with that said, I want to talk first. Guys get these new farms. They want to hunt new public, whatever. And the first thing that you need to do is go on to Onyx Maps. Now, I can't speak for HuntStand and the 480,000 different apps that exist. 
I can only speak for Onyx. Um, I've looked at some of the other ones and they didn't really stack up. Maybe there are some now that are better. I don't know. But if Man. you can go and turn on the hybrid feature that shows you the satellite, but also the topo lines. Yes. That's going to be huge. You need to be finding benches, those hard lines. Uh, generally, you'll have a bench somewhere in there. You need to find saddles. You need to so, find all the different geographical locations on those properties where deer will funnel through or bed or whatever. So just to be clear, a bench on a hill is it will rise up. There's a base of a hill that rises up. Then there will be a usually a flat area where you will have um, some movement from deer. It might be anywhere from six feet to 60 feet as, as a yeah. bench. It might be a flat plateau and then rise back up to yep. another area. Mm -hmm. um, a saddle is a dip down in between two hills that comes to a flat area and acts yeah. as a transition area. You would call it like a low gap Correct. in a mountain a low or a gap. hill. And of course, the deer isn't going to just try to walk to the top of the hill. It's right. going to try to get over that hill as easily as possible. And this Correct. is actually an intelligent thing as a hunter to know because that enables you to also not have to walk your ass up to the top of the hill. Yes. You can go through that low gap or saddle. If you go to the south, they call them low gaps a lot of yeah. times. Yep. So, um, which good catch on that. I need to be better about explaining that stuff. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. So, <laughs> so um, and like he said, a bench, picture a road that goes up a mountain, the side of a mountain and wraps mm -hmm. around like that's what a bench is going to look like. It's going to be, you know, you've got, let's say uh, you've got the mountain or the hill on your right and then you're standing on the bench. It's literally like a very flat spot that kind of juts out from the side of the hill. Mm -hmm. And then it could, you know, it could be six feet or, you know, however big and then it'll drop back off generally. So yes, that's, these are good things to find. Um, another spot that I like to find is where a bunch of ridge systems converge together. Yes. That's a, like, that's just an intersection essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and this is also something that helps because rather than walk up and down all these hills, when you go out West, you have to do this. Otherwise you'll just kill yourself walking. Um, mm -hmm. you find a good ridge system like that and then you get up high you don't give up your elevation. You stay on that ridge system and work it out. So like when you're turkey hunting, you're not going to walk down to the bottom of the hill to call for turkeys. You stay up high where you can hear well and cover more ground. Correct. Easier. So reading the topo maps and looking for features. Uh, another thing that's great to use is Google maps. Yes. You can kind of see, you can differentiate between like a cedar thicket, pine thicket, or a deciduous forest mm -hmm. um you can look and see what vegetation is green or what isn't generally as well and then the other thing that i like uh pierce moore taught me this if you're looking for water in a yeah. place where there's not a lot of water you turn on the topo feature on your onyx maps mm -hmm. and you can see the blue you don't Correct. have to see like a named creek or or uh you know some kind of lake or pond or whatever um you can see it'll even show marshy areas and springs mm. and then for those guys hunting out west water tanks are something that you want to find as well and, so and, 
And for, for you, those of you that um, already have property and you want to just stay in on that property, another good thing that you can do that a lot of um, counties have, almost every state has what's called a GIS system. Um, you can actually go on there, look up your map of the piece of property. It will also have a topo feature. It'll have water features. It'll tell you flood levels and that kind of stuff from everywhere from like a 10 to 100 year flood and what the traditional water lines are on the properties. And what you can do with that, if you're really old school, is take it to a Kinko's or something and print out the map if you want a hard copy of it. I know a lot of guys who will actually um, laminate one and then they will keep it and they will draw stand placements and that kind of stuff to keep at hunting camp or whatever, um, just because some guys don't like carrying a phone. So that is an option for you as well. Yes, yes, yes. That's another good one um so the next thing you want to do and again this is like the most basic stuff that you could ever do but i'm telling you so i think too many people get caught up in like really stupid things like so i'm probably going to go to hell for saying this because i'm on different staffs and everything mm -hmm. but um don't rely on deer scent don't rely on ozonics don't rely on scent killers don't rely on Correct. calls don't rely on a, your matthews bow rely on your brain and what makes you and made us all predators yes our ability to think and reason and um solve problems um i think too many people rely on these basically like gimmicks and stuff and they think that they can just take deer pee and put it on a tree right and then some big buck is going to show up and that happens oh, but yeah. i can guarantee you that i i can't tell you how many times i've put deer pee out want to know how many big bucks i've had come in while hunting it one maybe and i can't confirm that he was there because of that but i have to kind of give it credit because he came down the exact trail we walked in on mm -hmm. and literally followed the strategy that I laid out to a T. So I, I have to say that more than likely it worked, but it's, it's not going to work. What was going on there too. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a bunch of does there as well. Yeah. Um, and it was a cut cornfield in, I think it was November 17th, mm -hmm. but it, it's just one of those things where it's very situational. I think people think that like, if you use this call or this deer pee or, you know, attracting or, you know, the people that are dumb enough to think that if you put corn out that deer just lay down on their back and say, shoot me. Right. Um, and that actually is pointed more towards the corn haters than the yeah. corn users. Um, but I, I, I do think that some people that use corn think you can just dump it out in the Walmart parking lot, and the deer come and eat it. And yeah, that's not the like case. That. You need to use your woodsmanship and get between the, you know, especially this time of year, mm -hmm. get between him and his food source, if you can put that corn in his food source, like a oak flat or something, that's good. Yes. You you can't just go dump it in the middle of a cut bean field and then, and Expect don't get me wrong, to show up. You you could have it happen, but you're not. The odds are not in your favor. Right. You're not working with the odds, and I think that's where people get confused. You have to use everything to put the odds in your favor so when i go to the woods mm -hmm. i may call here and there but all i'm doing is alerting every deer to my presence 
Yeah. So a lot of times I don't like to blind call at all because that alerts everything to my presence. And then once you get to November 5th, mm -hmm. every single deer in the woods, Has think about the miles that they travel, those bucks travel miles every single day. How many times does he hear that can calling those damn rattling horns and a snort wheeze every day? Mm -hmm. He, he becomes numb to it. <laughs> I mean, well, they get he, educated and like, yeah, we, we've talked about this before. Deer get educated by that kind of stuff. And like, you know, they start avoiding areas that, uh, that do that. So you bring up a good point and, uh, it might be best to hit next is actually, um, you said Oak flats. So food sources. Oh, yeah. Like knowing, knowing your flora that are in the areas that you are planning on hunting. Um, I have a suggestion for a lot of people, um, that, that tend to do this is, it is very easy to think that you have something on your property, but then you don't actually have it. Do yourself a favor. If you lease a property or if you own a property, um, most of the states have a Department of Forestry. In fact, I think every, every state has one. More times than not, they will be happy, very happy to come out and help you identify the plants and trees that you have on your property. If you don't want to do that, um, every state has a book. Usually it's called like Woody Plants of the State. Um, it's a very simple identification book to help you notice what the difference between a red oak and a white oak is, what a persimmon looks like, what a pawpaw looks like. And it yeah. helps you identify all those different food sources for those animals that will be on your property throughout the entirety of your hunting it. Yeah. And I can't, you know, that's a very good point. And I can't say how important it is to at least know your different trees. Yes. Simply because important. like, for example, I can tell you right now, there are a couple of trees that I know for a fact that deer, for whatever reason, prefer to make scrapes under maples and beech trees here in Ohio. And then the other ones that they'll do is oaks, mm -hmm. especially in hill country where that's, pretty much what you have but um you know the the maples and everything uh generally will be mm -hmm. growing high with their branches they're they're going to be straight yeah. up so but uh knowing your trees is so huge especially the trees that you want to make you know a, a mock rub or a mock mm -hmm. scrape um trees that feed the deer rick just mentioned you know being able to identify a red oak a white oak um a pin oak, a pawpaw mm -hmm. tree, which is huge. Not, not so much now as early season. Yes. You know, they grow the Appalachian bananas as we call them. Yep. And then the persimmons, which are actually coming ripe right about now. Yes, they are. Um, and, and deer, you, you'll wonder why in the hell is that deer out in that fence row in the middle of the field? Well, mm -hmm. there's a good chance there's a persimmon tree there. That's correct. Or, something some oak is dropping some good acorns for him so um yes. and and that kind of takes me into my next point reading sign yes and um i was turned on to a person by a buddy one of my more respected deer hunters that i really look to for advice his name's pierce moore and if you ever want to pastor him pester the living hell out of him is on the page and uh he deserves every bit of it 
for killing all the big ass deer he has. So with that said, he uh, turned me on to a dude named Dan Infault. And Dan Infault started the hunting beast and he's a big public land guy. Now he also hunts private places and everything, but one of the things that he uh, utilizes is simple woodsmanship and reading sign. So the first thing they'll go out and do, they'll literally go out into the woods and just look for good tracks, deer droppings, scrapes, rubs, um, you know, good heavily used trails and just different sign that says there are deer utilizing this area here. And then they'll figure out generally why they're utilizing it. And it's generally because it's either great bedding, there's a water source Mm -hmm. or food source. So So one, one thing that I have found that has been extremely helpful in helping me uh, learn an area really well. And this is a great thing to do on public land because it also gets you out of the house a little bit in the winter months. If you go in February or early March before stuff really starts popping or spring starts really hitting, trails are much easier to see where yeah. deer have been traveling through areas and they become a lot more apparent. Like it, it's, it might be older trails or whatever, but it still at least gives you an idea of how those deer move through there um, or turkeys, whatever, for that matter. It's going to show you where those game trails are at. Plus, you're going to be able to go in and see where there are rubs that are you know from two years ago versus this year. So you can also look at that kind of stuff. I'm not rubs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah your, tree rubs, your, not scrapes. Yeah. Scrape your historical down. sign and everything, which that's another good point. And I'll kind of add to that is that time of year is a great time to scout but the majority of your scouting unless you're looking for those historical rubs and stuff i mean a a lot of those well-used trails are probably going to be a that time of year thing where they're moving through a certain area from one food source to another or you know finding water that isn't frozen and that's probably going to be a great late season spot to hunt yes but um reading the sign is so important and that's going to take me to my neck. And I'm telling you right now, you, you won't, you will not beat that. I don't care how many plots you plant. I don't care how great your public is. A guy who can read sign as he walks into the woods is going to consistently kill deer. Yes. I've learned how to do that uh, a little bit when I was younger, but I've really, ever since I started hunting public land, that has been what I've learned to do a lot and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give props to public guys, public guys, know you know, consistent public land guys know how to read the sign. Cause that's what you have to do. Cause if you just go like a private land guy might and sit in the same spots every year, it's just, you, you don't have control over the pressure. You don't have control over the food mm-hmm. as much. And, uh, things aren't going to really turn out the same, but also it teaches you as a private land guy, that you were stupid for sitting in that spot, you know, this year versus last or, right. you know, whatever. It, it really makes you better. Now I'm not going to take away credit from private land guys because I think private land guys struggle when they get to public and public land guys struggle when they get to private because there are things about both that. that you have to understand and utilize a public land guy is able to adapt and move a private land guy like myself who has, you know, 80 acres, but I have a fence row. Well, I'm not going to be able to move 
you know, unless we're talking about sitting on one side of a standing cornfield versus the other, maybe I have that option. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you cut that corn, it's it, you're done. You have a fence yeah. row and that's what you have. So you can't pressure it a lot. You can't, you know, there's things that you just can't do with both. So right. the next thing that I would tell people is l- – I know this is like the well, sort on. of hipstery thing right now. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, um, you go. Sign. You need to describe what sign actually is. Sign for those. I did. You, I don't. Did you? Yeah. I, it might have been when you had to step away. Oh, okay. Scrapes, rubs, yeah. deer poop. Okay. Yeah. You're Oops, looking for bad. deer droppings. <laughs> you're looking for scrapes. You're looking for rubs. You're looking for good trails. And and you're going to look. Beds. Um, you know, if you're buck hunting. You want to look at those tracks. Now, some guys argue that the dew claws go in the ground. Some say they don't. Here's what I want to look at. I want to look at a big track that looks like a big body was on it, not mm-hmm. just a big foot. Because I've seen doe with – oh, my God, I just did that. I've <laughs> yes, seen does. <laughs> that was only because I've got a dry mouth because I didn't get a beer before we did this. I've seen does with big feet, but you can tell – when a big buck yeah. has laid his track, it is pretty good in the ground. And, you know, it's, it's down in there. You can just kind of tell a lot of times his toes will be spread out from the weight mm-hmm. pushing down, stuff like that. So with that said, uh, your, your next thing that you really want to utilize, and this is as big as anything gets, um, go get you some milkweed. You could probably still find some right now. If you can't, you can buy it. It's cheap. You could probably get it for like a dollar a pod. eBay. Two or three pods. Well, huh? eBay has them on there. Yeah. And and the thing is, two, three, four pods, it's going to last you all season. Mm-hmm. So so I've got, a, I've got a suggestion as well. Um, this is also good woodsmanship um, for helping increase the amount of uh, flora and fauna that you have on your property uh, and bring pollinators on to kind of help that kind of stuff. If you um, look, uh, you can go to fw.ky.gov. Um, monarch butterflies nest in milkweed and most states have a, um, a pollinator plan or like a, um, an insect plan or whatever. Uh, they will tell you what kind of milkweed to get. So not only can you harvest the pods when all is said and done with, you can also introduce a native plant to your property that will help also, you know, a passive species coming through your property to help kind of with that kind of stuff. And it will help bring other things onto your property based off of that. I agree. And I mean, you know, not to be too tree huggery here, but, uh, I think I can speak for both Rick and I, um, as hunters and fishermen and gatherers, Mm -hmm. we're nature freaks. We're, we are tree huggers. We're real Mm -hmm. tree huggers, not the hipstery douches. So I love monarch butterflies. Yeah. Monarch butterflies were around when we were kids and then all of a sudden they disappeared kind of, and they're coming back. And I, I think they're coming back because deer hunters are planting milkweed. Yeah. People are getting involved and planting a shitload of milkweed and understanding that these things have disappeared and we want to bring them back. And those things, I don't know how many people know this, but they rely on that milkweed. They lay their eggs 
on the underside of the leaves yes. and the caterpillars hatch out and they eat the leaves and that helps them taste like garbage to predators. <laughs> and Correct. that's how they stay alive basically. So um, it's very important and it's, it's a native plant. I can't say native yes, enough. Um, and, and those are huge. So get you some milkweed and, and another little tidbit. I've got milkweed now and it'll, if you get some pods, there'll be seeds in there, dry them out. And then look up online. I haven't done this yet, but I know that you can't just plant it. You right. actually have to frost seed it, I believe. So you got to freeze it for X amount of whatever mm -hmm. and then plant it. Um, kind of similar to like a pine cone yes. uh, out west needing to catch fire before it can reproduce. Correct. So uh, another tidbit for you guys that might not have known that. <laughs> well, and to, um, to be clear, just because uh, people do goofy things sometimes, when Chris says get milkweed because it's to test wind, you pop open the pod and you use the things inside of the pod. You don't just drop the pod because <laughs> I, I, I'm not joking about this. <laughs> I'm not joking about this. Um, do not just drop the pod. You are going to want the things inside of the pod. <laughs> Have you had somebody do that? I've, I've heard. <laughs> oh, jeez. So it's going to, uh, you know, I, I always think about this stuff and I'm like, well, I know it. So everybody else knows it. And this week, especially I've found out that a crap load of people don't know about this stuff. So it basically has like a hairy substance inside, similar to almost like what you get off of a dandelion, but a little yeah. thicker cottonier. Uh, more cotton-like. Cotton, -like. cotton yeah. is not a word. Um, so it's more cotton-like, uh, but like uh, stringy. So And it'll be attached to these seeds. And the whole purpose is, is this thing dries out. This pod dries out in nature and then pops open. And then the wind carries this stuff yes. and spreads the seeds everywhere. So you take this stuff and remove it from the seeds. Keep your seeds wherever you want do what you want with them, plant them, whatever. I highly encourage that, but you're going to go out and you're going to read the wind currents mm -hmm. and, and you're going to have to do this on different winds because different winds are going to create different currents on your properties, on the public, whatever. And the other thing that a lot of people don't understand is thermals. As a yeah. guy who got into elk hunting a few years ago, I learned that thermals are huge and mm -hmm. uh, for very good reason. So the animals will use these. And what that is, is Essentially, as the earth heats up, the thermals, which is kind of like a, I guess I would uh, call it like a, a wind current or whatever, mm -hmm. it rises. So it'll go uphill, it'll rise, and that's going to carry your scent up as the yeah. earth warms up. Okay, so 9.30, 10 o'clock in the morning, when you just got that chill with the first good sunlight beaming down on you, just keep in mind that if you watch your breath, it'll probably go up. Mm -hmm. And and just to cover another little piece, those guys who use like windescent, uh, you know, I, I probably shouldn't mention in specific companies, but I don't care. Um, uh, any kind of powder checker, a lighter, that's basically blasphemy. Like it is not. It'll show you wind direction, but it's not going to show you exactly. It'll show you wind direction five feet in front of your face. Right. If you're lucky. So milkweed, you can watch that stuff for 50 yards. As far as you can see the milkweed, 
as long as it doesn't get caught on a tree mm-hmm. or something, which it, it will a lot. But what you're going to understand is, is when you start popping this milkweed into the air, you're going to watch it and it's going to, you know, it's going to show you where the wind swirls. Right. It's going to show you when the thermals are rising and where they're rising. Cause for instance, if you get a spot that's really shady and then have a spot right next to it mm-hmm. where the sun's beaming down pretty good, a lot of times you'll have kind of like a thermal tunnel. Um, it, it'll show you all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's going to show you that wind and your mind is going to be blown. Well, and, and I know, I know some guys will actually also, if you can't, if you, for whatever reason, you don't have access to milkweed, um, again, off season stuff while you're getting your properties ready or when you're getting stuff ready, some guys will take an old coffee can. They will start a small fire in the coffee can at, in, in the morning. They will sit it on like the base of their stand and the smoke will roll out and it will go whichever way the thermal is going too. So yeah. it's another piece that you can also look at with regards to that. And another important thing to remember about this is, is it's great to look at your weather app or look at the weather in the morning to say, oh, I have a northeast wind or, oh, I have a southeast wind. When you get to your stand, remember your wind may not be what the what the meteorologist said for the, the gospel full purpose. of the Lord. Yeah. For, so, I mean, <laughs> you can go into a hollow or a holler if you're from the south and the wind could be swirling. Like I cannot tell you how many times I've been in an area and the wind is going one way literally for the, you know, the majority of the time. And then all of a sudden starts swirling in there and it will blow deer out of an area if you don't know that it does that in those areas. So, I mean, that kind of also leads us into another important thing, which is stand placement. Yes. Stand placement is going to be huge. Um, and it, it's very situational, so I can't give like an exact answer on this, but essentially mm-hmm. understand that that buck is going to come in using the wind to save his life. Yes. You're not, we, we kind of get desensitized a little bit because it's like you're playing tag with the deer and then he runs away and falls asleep yep. and never wakes up. You're going to kill that deer and end his life and he's going to die. He's going to feel pain more than likely. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to die. So their nose is about 30 to 35% better than a dog, the best dog in the world. Yep. So he has spent his whole life using that nose to stay alive. So he's going to come in and use that wind. And there's a lot of times where like, I'll give you a, a perfect example. I started to learn this last summer while summer scouting mm-hmm. and then kind of confirmed it when talking to my buddy Pierce. So I had this, these three really good bucks, really big bucks. I was watching in a bean field and they would come out of the woods and, and the whole time they're, in front of me and the wind is blowing from them to me. And the whole time I'm like, well, this is stupid. The wind's in my favor, not theirs. Mm-hmm. Ah, but they can smell what they can't see and they can see everything else. Yeah. So it's like a security thing, right? So they would walk either directly away from the woods or parallel that woods and anything that's in that woods that is dangerous to them, they can smell it because mm-hmm. they can't see in there and maybe they can hear, but you do, I mean, squirrels and coons and everything else running around, you, you just don't know. So they use that nose. 
Um, eyes and ears are secondary to a deer. Their nose is everything to them. So understanding that a deer just isn't going to walk straight into a field generally. And I, I watched a guy, uh, huge recommendation to watch Don Higgins on YouTube. Um, I normally don't promote other people's YouTubes unless they collaborate with us. But that being said, this dude is a genius. I share a lot of his beliefs. And just because it's November, they don't just go commit suicide. Like when you killed that 150 inch 10 pointer because he came in and was walking, you know, that midday, mid morning idiot walk where he just looks love drunk and he's just completely stupid and you could do jumping jacks in front of him and he doesn't care. That is an anomaly that that is that one or two, three times out of the entire year that that'll happen for that deer. That doesn't exactly. just happen all the time. Exactly. So what you need to understand is you need to play the wind. Now there's not all, you know, there's not like a number one answer for how to play the wind. Lots of times deer will hook into an area. So if you have a known food source, just understand, like say you've got a big cut cornfield, more than likely if you're facing that cornfield and the wind is in your face, and you're just inside the woods, that deer's probably going to come in in the woods behind you, and he is going to parallel that entire cornfield and make sure that there's no danger in it. Mm -hmm. And he can also check to see who's in that cornfield. Is it worth even going into that cornfield to see if there does – he doesn't have to go walk out there and look. He can right. scent check that. His nose right. is that good. Hundreds of yards away, he'll smell a deer and be able to know is that a buck? Is that a doe? Yada, yada, mm -hmm. yada. Mm -hmm. So that leads me kind of to my, my next point, which I sort of already hit, but don't overhunt an area because November. Um, again, these deer are not stupid. They don't just turn into morons right. starting October 28th and then, you know, go to October 18th and they're just mm -hmm. stupid now. That's not how it works. There's a reason that 160-inch deer that's seven years old, there's a reason he's seven years old. Seven years old. He, he's smart. He's intelligent. He does not get overpowered much by the rut. He will, but you don't want to rely on that. You want right. to kill him when he slips up a little bit. Keep in mind that more than like, you know, my, my story I told on the page the other day mm -hmm. about the 162-inch 16-pointer I killed, he walked in, kind of rutted up, but mm -hmm. the moment I went, eh, he knew. Immediately he knew. The look on that deer's face and the way he broke his neck to turn and look my way, that deer knew that he'd screwed up. And I mm -hmm. just, I barely caught that deer slipping for a second. He wasn't walking around love drunk. He just slipped for yep. a second. So don't overhunt your spot. Don't just not pay attention to the wind or, you know, the other thing that I can't say enough that I almost like should slap myself for leaving out is paying attention to your access. Your yeah. access is it's huge. So important. And especially with you woodlot guys that are hunting these farmland deer, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. It's important everywhere but you have more options on public as far as access to goes. Yeah. And a lot of times public land is going to be thicker. You know, it's not, you know, plowed up and, you know, cut 
like these corn right. field areas and cut bean fields and where there's a 10 acre patch of woods and that's what you got your access is huge and if you access a certain spot the same way every time mm -hmm. do yourself a favor and look on onyx maps or google maps and find out where a buddy could drop you off get permission from a neighbor simply to walk across their yard yeah and come in differently and watch that big mother effer show up because you caught his ass off guard mm -hmm. and you were in a tree somewhere else where where your stand is and and you entered from a different spot and he thought oh it's okay to go in there today dipshit didn't walk in down the trail so i'm gonna go eat out of the corn pile cornfield yada 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 exactly so um the other couple things are 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 no brainers efficiency with your weapon practice if you practice, got your bow practice, out practice yeah if you got and you know i'm like the worst person because i'm a competition archer so when i see people in their bows out in july it makes me cringe but those guys in their bows out in july they're doing work and i commend them because if you get your bow out you know your your season comes in september 1st and you got your bow out a week beforehand you are the person that the archery shop guys want to strangle because yeah. you, you need new strings and cables in six days before the opener you need new arrows in mm -hmm. six days you know you need to get that bow out and figure out everything that you need you need to get it tuned you need to get it sighted in and then you need to retune it with your broadheads and and all that and make damn sure you are as lethal as you can get and i understand he has the time and not everybody has the the vision and uh the strength or whatever if you're using a crossbow or a gun i don't care just use it practice with it yeah. um you cannot practice enough with your weapon when you think you're good tell yourself you suck and be better all right i can't say that enough so the other thing that's common sense as well but Sometimes you need a little coaching up and you don't think about this. Dressing for success mm. in an intelligent way is huge. One thing I've learned to do, you know, working with guys like Pierce Moore, Josh Fox, uh, you know, your brother, Will, your dad, yeah. you, um, so many people that hunt public land. I didn't get to start hunting public land till 20, I want to say it was 2017 when mm -hmm. I basically first hunted public land. And it was cool. It was very adventurous for me. Um, but when you walk in, let's say you got a long walk, wear thin hiking pants and hiking boots in yes. with thin socks and a long sleeve shirt, even if it's 30 degrees out, and carry your heavy clothes and pack your, your layers in. in your pack. Yeah. Pack that stuff in. The last thing you want to do is be stupid like me and hike 11 miles in rubber boots and wool socks <laughs> and have blisters on your ankles on your heels and have soaking wet feet because they're hot and sweaty mm -hmm. and be soaked in sweat and then you get up in your stand and you're like oh man i'll be fine i'm hot and then 45 Smell. minutes later you are freezing your ass off yeah. you stink and i, I mean the scent doesn't bother me as much you being comfortable because mm -hmm. if a deer let's face it if the wind is not in your favor and that deer has it go right there's very damn little chance that you're going to get away 
way with it, whether you showered in a week or whether you showered 20 minutes ago. Right. A deer's nose is stupid. Uh, to get to put things in perspective here, and I know we're kind of we just got a couple minutes left, but um, a cadaver dog, uh, a cadaver dog is uh, goes through extensive training and everything. And I believe, don't quote me here, but they will cut the tip of a uh, cadaver's pinky off. Mm-hmm. So they'll cut a dead guy's pinky, off, just the tip, just <laughs> um. And they will sink it in three feet of water. If the canine does not hit on that, I'm going to say that again. A tip of a pinky is sunk, sunken into three feet of water. And if the dog does not hit on that, it does not pass the test. The deer does not have to use its nose like a dog because the dog doesn't give a shit whether it gets its job or not. It's dog Mm -hmm. doesn't know. You know what I mean? A deer has to use its nose to stay alive. It uses its nose every day to find food, water, and to stay alive and to find his buddies. So that deer's already better. Now add the fact that it has more olfactory sensors, scent Mm -hmm. receptors. Yeah. Uh, Its nose is about 35% better. Exactly. So, I don't care what you sprayed. I don't care if you put, you know, if you rubbed yourself in dirt. I, I have heard that people that some clothes see good results. I'm going to try it. But eventually, I, I think it's like else. If you go to a certain area and you're smoking your clothes every time. Yeah, well, they're going to they're gonna pick up on it. Then they're going to learn. So yeah, you also like the, the main deal with packing your clothes in is this is the way that I always kind of took it is is like, um, it's better to have it than not have it, it like especially oh. with some of that stuff because um, you can always take clothes off or put or you can always put clothes on you can't mm-hmm. always like like if you don't have it you can't put it on exactly exactly so if if like you know you've got a long hike in put it in your bag you know wear you know wear a nice pair of like um, thermal underwear or like whatever you call them like you know I, I I have a pair of I have two different pairs, uh, actually three different pairs of like um, a base layer. I've got an Under Armour midweight um, that you can find on sale, like the stuff you can find on sale pretty easily, um, and it's nicer stuff. And I've got a pair of Cabela's Polar that I wear uh, when it gets really cold, when I'm going to be sitting for a real long time, and it keeps me very warm. But when I walk in. I will pack my heavy jacket in my backpack and I will wear a long sleeve shirt. I will wear my hunting pants or my bibs in and I will let myself like not get ridiculously sweaty because you know, as well as I do, Chris, if you're hunting Midwest or you're hunting North or anywhere like that and you start sweating and you know, it is five 30 and you are already cold, you are going to stay cold for an extremely yeah. long time. And it will become a hunt that you don't necessarily want to be on. Uh, and you and I have been both on muzzleloader hunts and negative one and negative two degree temperatures. Huh. It is not fun when you are sweating okay. on the way in. So, perfect example. We're going to make fun of your brother real quick. Oh, multiple socks? So, <laughs> well, so... Rick's brother, Will, God love him. Uh, uh, Amazing guy, right? Amazing fisherman. Uh, Wanted to get kind of back into hunting a little bit. 
and he's an extremely knowledgeable person. I'm going to lay that out there. And I can say whatever I want because I know he's not going to hear this. Um, <laughs> but that said, hopefully he does now. Uh, with that said, I told him the night before, Will, it's going to be damn cold tomorrow. What kind of boots do you have? And he pointed to his hiking boots. And, <laughs> I, I, you know, I kind of chuckled a little bit and I said, man, I don't think those are going to get it done. And he, you know, sneered and because he's i mean this dude has mountaineered and crazy weather over it yeah over in croatia and done crazy stuff but i know that as a deer hunter in the midwest when it's muzzleloader season Mm -hmm. in january and it says it's going to get down to like i I think the low was like four degrees and the high was 16 or something it was a cold cold day cold it was cold. I, I told him the I said, degrees that day. Yeah. Yeah. That's not including wind chill or anything. Yeah. So I, I told him, I said, man, there's a difference between walking around and sitting. And I don't care what anybody says. I can throw on my hiking boots, a pair of pants and a long sleeve sweater mm-hmm. and go hiking some seriously cold stuff, walk around, bird hunt, whatever. Right. Right. Well, when you have to sit still, different story the the blood the blood your blood is not flowing what people don't understand you know and this kind of comes back to just basic stupid knowledge that people don't know they put on three pairs of socks and tie their boots up tight and then wonder why their feet are cold well what's happening is is your body is pulling the blood from your extremities to keep your core Mm -hmm. warm because that's where all your important stuff is right so that's why your fingers and your hands and your toes and your feet get yeah. cold first. Exactly. And so um, when you then put on two, three pairs of socks and have those boots on that you did not prepare to put on that many socks underneath, mm-hmm. well, now you've cut your circulation off. Exactly. And now your blood flow is even shittier and you're in trouble, man. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and so this this basically all comes back to a uh, luck favors the prepared and just the stupidest, most basic things will help you increase your odds. And when you're a comfortable hunter, you are focused. And if yes. anybody knows about focus, it's me because I don't have any. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I suffer from like ADHD or something. So one thing I've known is like with target archery and stuff, I can't have caffeine because mm-hmm. I turn into a complete moron and I, I just, I don't focus well. Yeah. Well, if you're uncomfortable, you are not a focused person and you're not scanning and listening mm-hmm. and going. You're thinking problems. about going back to the house and you are getting a warm you're, cup of coffee and sitting you're in the thinking chair. about getting in the truck and getting that warm cup of coffee left in there or whatever, which is another thing, a, a trick I learned from, from uh, Rick and his dad, take a thermos of coffee or a thermos of boiling hot tomato soup exactly take that out just anything to keep you in the stand for another 90 minutes um on those cold mornings so uh well guys we're kind of out of time this was you know i can't thank rick enough because i was kind of inspired and (laughs) uh really needed to do this anyways but yeah i I just this was a good message to him and i said hey we need to do a podcast and so he hopped on here so thank you um guys thanks for tuning in and uh our last thing, because we haven't really done any concluders, Yanni. No, we, we didn't. have a concluder. 
We didn't do so them last episode those either, that by would the way. Like, what's that? We didn't do them last episode. I was editing them like, oh, like the last oh. two or three or something like it. Yeah, it's been a bit. So, um, so while I said don't rely on certain things, right? Deer calls do work, but don't rely on deer calls. Mm-hmm. Use deer calls and and let them help you. Don't rely on deer urine, but use it to help put your odds in your favor a little bit. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, don't think it's the be all end all. With that said, we've partnered with a great company, Urine Luck Deer Sense. Josh Neal and his wife are amazing people. They've got a beautiful little girl. Um, they have an amazing deer farm. He has given us a code to share with you guys. And we don't make money or anything like that. We just want to hook our guys up that listen to our podcast and all that and uh, our active members and stuff. So for 15% off of all of their products, type in the code ELITE20. That's all caps, E-L-I-T-E-2-0, ELITE20, and you'll get 15% off anything that they sell. So, and we'll put that uh, in the liner notes uh, that you guys, so you guys can read it too. So it'll be in the liner yeah. notes with a link to uh, link to their site. Yeah. Guys stay connected to the trees and good luck this November yeah. and end so, of October. Yeah. Um, my, my, my concluding thought is, is just that um, just as important about, um, you know, your woodsmanship is to make sure that you are wearing your tree harness, your safety harness in and out of trees and as always if you are going somewhere with guns uh, to gun hunt and hunter orange uh, laws are the mandate please 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 remember most states require that to be on your head and around your upper torso the entire time you are walking to your stand you are in your stand and you are leaving your stand be sure that is the easiest thing that people will get tickets for. So be aware of that. Stay safe. Stay in your tree with a tree uh, tree harness and don't die. So yep. <laughs> this has been Fueled by the Outdoors. We've been your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert, and we've really enjoyed bringing this to you guys. Talk to you later. Bye. See you. for our podcast today please remember to subscribe like review on all major podcasting platforms we are available on apple google TuneIn, Castbox, spotify and all other major podcasting platforms as always we are available for contact at the elite outdoors one at gmail.com that is the elite outdoors the number one at gmail.com thanks a lot guys talk to you next time Thank you.